Well, good evening. I made it up the steps and the mic work, so I have a lot of room for error tonight. So we're good there. Um, I want to start off tonight, and um, I want to thank Alex, and I want to thank uh, our staff here um, for the opportunity tonight. I'm really excited about this, and um, it's an opportunity that I do not take lightly. So I want to thank you guys for that. And um, before I get started, I'd like to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. Um, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for um, our church leadership and all they mean to us. I thank you for this service and uh, what it's meant to my life. I ask that tonight as I talk about my journey and our journey, that uh, it won't be my words, Lord, that it'll be yours and that you'll speak through me and directly to the hearts of those that are here. I ask that uh, you'll be with us in our time together. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Well, like I said, I'm excited about tonight um, because, well, frankly, I was asked to do it, and that's cool in itself, right? So um, when Alex started talking to me about where we're going with the new journey, he said Exodus is where we're going to really start, and I was like, oh, we're going old school, and we're going to go... Old Testament and you know how can we look at Exodus and be positive that it is something that we can relate to so the more studying I've done and, and the more reading I've done I'm pretty confident that Exodus is just as relevant today and in, in 2017 as it was thousands of years ago so what I want to do tonight is I want to share with you a um, scripture in 1 Corinthians, which is obviously much further in the Bible, that tells us exactly that. It says in 1 Corinthians, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And this is what Paul wrote um, in regards to the journey in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and what that means to us. So we can learn from that and know that exactly what happened in Egypt and the wilderness is something that we can apply to our own lives because he says that it's an example of what we can expect if we take our eyes off of what God's plan is for our life. And tonight I get the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about my life um, and my journey and where I've been. I'm really going to focus mostly on the past 10 years of my life because um, I really feel like that is, um, that's, that's the whole the whole story, really. Um, and in order for the first, the past 10 years of my life to make sense, I've got to kind of give you some backstory. So I, I grew up in a normal middle-class family. There was nothing abnormal about my life. Um, I was very um, privileged to have a very stable house, um, and we attended church. I went to church just about every Sunday. I enjoyed church. Um, I had great Sunday school teachers, had great friends at church never really resisted going to church, but I knew the most important things that we would hope all of our kids would know. I knew Jesus died for my sins, I knew he loved me, and I knew I didn't want to shame him in my actions. As I got older, um, into my teenage years and college years, things changed a little bit. Um, they changed for some people, but for me, they definitely changed. Um, I started growing away from the church. Um, I, I started meeting people in my life that um, were different. They, were, they didn't have the same spiritual upbringing that I did. 
Um, they weren't from Cincinnati, Ohio or Milford, Ohio. Um, they were from all over. I went to college at UC and met people from all over the world. And I started to kind of put my eyes more on the people in my life, more so than what I had learned with God and putting God in my life. I started to focus on the fact that these people didn't have the same spiritual background that I did, and they seemed happy, they seemed fulfilled, they seemed accomplished and successful, and they didn't have that. So maybe everything I was raised in, maybe it just doesn't hold a whole lot of weight. Maybe, maybe it's just I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to be a Christian, and these people seem like they're doing pretty well without it. So I started putting my faith in people. I started focusing on their acts and their attitudes, and as we all know, people let you down, and you start to feel like you're not important in their life. They start, they start um, going against you, and, and in one hand, they could be very close to you, and the other hand, they could change, and that hardened my heart. It made me believe that not only was what I learned hard to do, being a Christian, being a teenager, and being in college, but these people could care less about the way I was raised. And, and it hardened my heart, and it forced me to turn my back on church, turn my back on God, and really question everything that I had been taught. So I can look back at that now, and I can see that that's the beginning of my Egypt. Um, we learn in Exodus about Egypt, and we learn about the Israelites in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, they were in there for generation after generation after generation of, of slavery, of, um, of just being in bondage and darkness. And I can see in my own journey, when I stand back and I'm older now, that that was the beginning of my Egypt. And my Egypt really revolved around a job. When I was in my early 20s, I had a friend of mine come up to me and he said, listen, I've got a job that we're going to interview for um, with the company I work with, which was a cell phone company, and um, it's a sales position. We think you'd be really good at it, and trust me, you're going to make more money than you've ever made in your life. And being in my early 20s, that didn't mean a whole lot, but he showed me his paycheck stub, and I said, I'm in. So I interviewed, I got the job, and I entered, entered Egypt. I walk into this job, um, first sales job I had ever had, and it was high-pressure sales big-time high-pressure sales, and everything revolved around what you did for me, not lately, but yesterday, and with that came times where in order to get that production, we didn't do things very ethically. Um, I didn't. The guys that I, I worked with didn't. There was about seven of us guys, and frankly, it was a frat party. It was just it was just guys doing as guys do. We were in our 20s. We had no care in the world. We had no respect for ourselves. We had no respect for people. We had no respect for women. We didn't respect anybody. We did whatever we want, and if our paychecks were in the bank every other we, we were happy. You can't mess that up. I was on a roll. Um, so so it, was, it was just Egypt, and with these guys, I had I didn't have brothers, so it was the closest thing to a brotherhood that I had ever experienced. And in order to be part of this brotherhood, I had to do as my brothers did. We had to do, I had to fit in. So I found myself in situations that were really uncomfortable for me. Um, our life consisted of a cycle. We worked, we partied, and we slept. Then we woke up, we did it again. And it was just over and over and over. And those situations 
that were once uncomfortable became the only thing I knew. And they were the only thing I was comfortable in because anything outside of that forced me to have social interactions with people that I didn't know how to have because I didn't respect people. All I cared about was my production, my paycheck. So in 2008, um, Autumn came into my life, my wife, and uh, she started hanging out with us. And, and it was interesting because she would come hang out with us and none of these other guys had girlfriends. And we would pull her in and she'd come hang out with us. And she's just a small town girl from north of Dayton. She's coming to the big city of Cincinnati. We're taking her downtown and we're partying all night and she's having a great time. She's not, <laughs> she's uncomfortable. But it was the only opportunity she had if she wanted to get to know me, that was her opportunity to spend time with me. So. We continued on in our relationship and it got serious. And then in 2010, in May of 2010, I asked her to marry me and she obviously said yes. And during this time, I continuously surrounded myself with people, people that were sucking life out of me, um, people that weren't pouring into me and helping me to be a better person. And frankly, to be fair, I wasn't doing that for anybody else either, including Autumn. So it became a point of contention with us, as it should be. Here she was, she's getting ready to make the biggest decision of her life, and uh, she's gonna spend the rest of her life with this, what she thought was a man, which was really a boy, and um, she was kind of stuck. So I look back at that, and I can see how selfish and how inconsiderate I was, but in my life, there was only two things that mattered to me, autumn and money. Autumn showed me appreciation, and money showed me accomplishment. Those were the only two things I needed in life. And because of that, I had completely put God and everything that I had learned in life on the back burner. I knew all, and in times of going to these parties, there were times I would be at a party and I would know I shouldn't be there, and I, and I thoroughly believe that if it wasn't for the background of going to church, I, I would have made choices that really would have altered my life. And thankfully I had that, but I always had a hole. I never knew what that hole was, but I always had a hole because I, I thought I was filling it with autumn and money. So in 2011, May of 2011, um, Autumn and I get married. And life kind of slows down a little bit. It, we're, we're not partying as much, um, but, but we're still, I'm still forcing her into situations she's uncomfortable with. Um, and we, decide, we started talking about having kids. Um, and we knew we wanted to have kids. We just didn't know the timing of it. So in February of the following year, we found out we were pregnant with Brindley. And with that, um, Autumn had made the decision that she thought that it, she wanted to get back in church. She was raised in church. She knew right from wrong. She was active in church. She loved church. She loved to worship. But she moved from Dayton to Cincinnati, and there was no way that this guy was going to give her any opportunity to chase that once she moved to Cincinnati because I was the only thing she knew in Cincinnati. So she decided to test the waters with me. She'd start looking around at churches, and she'd kind of test the water and say, hey, is this something maybe you're interested in? Is it something that maybe you would go? I'd shut it down completely. Nope, have no desire in it. I'd come up with some excuse that, you know, why we couldn't go. And she would get frustrated with it, but she'd still keep looking. And um, in one of my most shameful moments as a husband, um, 
Autumn would start going to church without me. And it made me mad. It frustrated me. I couldn't understand it. Um, we were married. She had made a decision and a commitment to me. So why would she turn her back on me to follow God? And as I said, it's a shameful moment for me um, because I look back on it and I am mortified at the fact that I would ever come between her and her chasing after God's heart. But I did because I was, again, selfish and inconsiderate. So I can see it now that it would have been very easy in today's world for my wife to wipe her hands of me and say, I'm done. I can't do this. This isn't what I signed up for. I've done all I can do. This isn't for me. And she could have walked away. But thankfully for me, my wife's not a quitter. She, uh, she stuck in. And uh, she never pressured me. She never guilted me for going to church. She simply just prayed for me. And ironically enough, during this same time, I had a friend of mine, a very close friend from high school, and uh, she was just on fire for Christ. I mean, she was, she was going on mission trips, and she was, just, she was just in love with God. And she would send us these handwritten letters to Autumn and I, just telling us about what's going on in her life and telling us she's praying for us and that she loves us and she'd love for us to go to church with her. And she'd ask me, hey, would you like to go to church? And I'd come up with some excuse why we couldn't go. We were busy. We had to you know, blow dry our hair, whatever it was. I just would come up with some ridiculous excuse. But she was still praying for me. And I am a firm believer that if it wasn't for the two of them praying for me and Autumn and I, I very well may not be standing here. And I very well may be a single man. But I, I, I believe in that, that they... Uh, that they, their prayers worked because my heart kind of started to soften. I was a little bit more open to it. And, um, and then I can look at that and I can see that right around that corner, God was about to call me out of Egypt. He had seen enough. He had seen me living this life of sin. He had seen me disrespecting my wife. He had seen me disrespecting the people in my life. And he was about to call me out of, out of my Egypt. And that happened. One day I was... Uh, driving to work. I had about a 40-minute drive to work at that time, and uh, the radio was on, and it was on a Christian radio station, which I'm convinced Autumn sabotaged me with, but I'm glad she did. And a song came on, and it was called Lead Me by Saint Disreal. And as soon as the verse came up, um, it reads like this. It says, I look around, and I see my wonderful life, almost perfect, from the outside, in picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside, I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands, stand up when I can't, don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams, but what about us? And man, oh man, I'd never heard that song before. I needed to, but I'd never heard it. And as soon as that first verse hit, my heart broke. I cried. I wept. I was driving. I ended up having to pull over. And it was God saying, enough is enough. I'm, t I'm tired of seeing you put yourself in Egypt. I'm delivering you from Egypt right now. You need to stop and walk with me. 
And I didn't know what to do with that. The song continues on, and the song really is about um, a family who is begging and pleading for a husband and a father figure to stand up and support them and be the foundation of their family. And I knew very well I had responsibility as a husband, but frankly, I didn't care. I didn't have, and when I say like, I was not doing a single thing to be a good husband. Not like a little bit, like, like no, nothing, nothing to be a good husband. But I knew it. And it's awful to say that because if you're following along with the timeline, there's a baby on the way and I'm still there. And with that song, it changed my life because it was God reminding me everything I already knew, everything that I had learned back in Sunday school when George Ann Williams was my, was my uh, teacher. And it was God just saying, what are you doing? And it was for the first time in my life that I can ever remember, and the only time I've ever audibly heard God say, enough is enough, you know who I am, it's time to come home. And people often say, in order for you to change, you have to break your heart. I, have, I went through high school breakups that I thought broke my heart and all that. This was a broken heart. This was a heart that somebody had ripped out of me and inspected it and said, this one don't work, you need a new one. So God had this breakthrough moment with me. He delivered me from my Egypt. But the bad news is I still wasn't all in. I still wasn't quite there yet. So when that happened, I said to Autumn, hey, maybe we could try going to church. Obviously she was happy about that. So we came back to Westchester and I was terrified. I thought for sure when I walked through that door, there's gonna be sirens going off, there's gonna be smoke coming out, there's probably a timer right above the uh, baptistry that says how long I've been gone. Surely they know, if they know my, my grandma, they know everything I've been up to. So I hope she listens to this because she'll love that. Um, but it was, it was things that were disconnecting me from God. I would be, in the, I'd be out in the parking lot walking in thinking to myself, boy, I hope the music's good this week. That song they did last week was really not, not my taste. Boy, I hope Pastor Bob's good. I, I need him to keep me awake. I hope he's talking directly to me. And just small, trivial things that just weren't connecting me with God. And because of that, I wasn't all in. So I'm walking along here trying to come up with reasons to back out of the commitment I just made to God. And then November of 2012 comes. And this little girl comes. And that changed everything. You said I would, didn't you? <laughs> Alex told me I was going to cry at some point in this, but I said that he's not a very reliable source. Um, then Brunley comes. And I held that baby, and I looked at her in the eyes, and I knew right then and there that's why God delivered me from Egypt. Because everything that God had given me, the love, the grace, the protection when I was doing stupid things and could have easily changed my life permanently, that's what I was supposed to do for that little girl. I was supposed to protect her. I was supposed to love her. 
And I was supposed to show her God's grace because, frankly, if I let the world raise her and let the world take her on whatever journey they want to, I may not get her back. But thankfully, God delivered me, so I have to protect her. So that's when I dove in. I, uh, I dove in and all bets were off. My guard was down. I turned my life over to God. I turned my marriage over to God. I turned my, my family over to God, my finances, my work, all of that over to God. And I said, God, you lead me where you want me to go. So then we came back to church. It was a completely different experience for me. I was finally able to connect with God. My wife and I got connected in a small group on Sunday mornings where we have met great friends, where we can be in the same stage of life together and walk through life together, and they have kids the same age as ours, and they've loved us, they've supported us, they've mentored us, um, and, and it was different this time. Things were, things were just off, and, and then I continued to challenge God. God, God just show me, show me what else you want me to do. So then I was approached for something that I had been praying for. Hey, would you be interested in helping start a men's ministry? We want men who have gone astray, we want them to feel loved and we wanna walk with them. So then me and about three or four other guys, we, we started Bleed, the Bleed group for men, um, to reach out to other men. And then I continued to ask God to lead me and he led me to Access 502 where um, he challenged me and he said, I want you to go in all, all in here and watch me work. And that's what I feel like I've done, is I am committed to the growth and the success of this service because I firmly believe that's what God's called me to do because there's people outside of these walls that don't feel like they can sit in those chairs in this sanctuary. And I'm responsible to reaching those people. So, you know, God just keeps, keeps pouring stuff on me, and I oftentimes say to my wife, I just feel like I might have too much on my plate. And she says, are you sure you better talk to God about that? So then I talk to God, and, and he says, hey, why don't you lead a Wednesday night? Me, lead anything? Okay, so I lead a Wednesday night group of men where we're walking together, and we're learning, and we're holding each other accountable, and we're loving one another, and we're telling each other that whatever you're going through is not different. I'm in the same boat as you, and, and it's fantastic. So, but I don't wanna make it look like this whole journey is fantastic. There's bumps. When I turned everything over to God, things changed. I lost a lot of friends, people that I thought were really close friends of mine. I can look at wedding pictures and know half of my, my groomsmen I don't even talk to. And, um, and my family, there's people in my family. They talk to us differently. They're, they're leery about the words they use at different times because things are different. And, and it's tough, it's tough to deal with that. But I look at the Israelites' journey and I can't help but think of how many times they hit bumps and they hit resistance and every single time God provided for them. And, and I, can, I think about the time they're heading from freedom or heading for freedom from Pharaoh and God says, hey, I want you to stop here. I want you to stop and camp. And they go, what? What do you mean stopping? If we stop, Pharaoh's going to catch up and we're toast. So they stop. And, and, and it's often times that I can look in our walk and I can say, I'm on the fast track to the promised land. I know exactly where God wants me to be and I'm headed there. And then God hits the brakes and brings it to a screeching halt. 
after we had Brindley in 2012, we waited about a year and a half, Autumn and I did, to um, have, a, have another child. And um, we started trying to have a uh, second child, and we struggled with infertility. And then uh, we found out we were pregnant. We were excited about that. And then we had a miscarriage. And uh, it was tough. It was devastating. Because here we are, God, we're doing everything you're telling us to do. We're all in at church. We're, we're mentoring people. We're trying to bring people to you. And why? Why would this happen to us? And it allowed us to step back and look at our family and look at our three-year-old at the time and realize that God truly does give and he takes away because it's all part of his plan, not mine. And we had to regroup. We had to pray together. We came together like we've never been before. And we refocused on what God's plan was and we moved forward. So that's where I'm at now. And because of all of those opportunities and all of those bumps, I feel like it allows me to have them stop, put my faith in God, and say, I know you provided for the Israelites, I know you're going to provide for me, and I can step back. And when we're on that journey, we're going to be tested. And when we're tested, that's when we grow, because that's what he's promised us, is that every time we're tested, he will grow us. And frankly, if I could be honest with you, standing right here is testing me. It's stretching me. Not because I'm uncomfortable talking to people. I do that every day. But the fact that I'm standing here completely vulnerable to you, telling you of all of the things I've been through and where I'm going, it's easy for me to have a human instinct to think none of these people are going to look at me the same way as when I was sitting there 30 minutes ago. It's easy for me to, to say that. But the one thing I remind myself on a daily basis is that I know this. The same God that forgave me and gave me grace is not a God that will refuse to use me to further his kingdom. I know that. And I know that because he used Moses. Moses is a murderer with a stutter. And he used him to bring his people out of Egypt. If he can use Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, he surely can use me, right? So here's the good news I want to bring to you from Exodus tonight. There's a part in Exodus, uh, Exodus 6, that Moses comes to God and he says, listen, you've asked me to lead these people. They're not really happy with me right now because things aren't quite going the way they had hoped. So there's a little bit of resistance here, God, and I need to know what I need to say to them. So God tells them this. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Can't we all look at that and kind of, again, be reminded of how that's relevant in 2017? Haven't we all been in that Moses or that Israelite position where, God, you've promised me that this is going to be pretty smooth, but it's not really going smooth. What is going on here? Why is things not working the way I want? So I want to look at that again, and let's change the words a little bit. So it says here, therefore say to, and let's change Israelites to your name. I am the Lord 
and I will bring you out from under the yoke of, and instead of Egyptians, let's say your past. So the next one, I will free from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under your past. Isn't that awesome? The fact that what he told Moses about the Israelites and how much struggle they're going through, we can look at that and say, that's what he's telling us in 2017, is that he has such a desire to deliver us from our own sin and our own past. And it's the same thing. It's the same God. The same God in Exodus is the same God here in 2017. And it's easy for us to look at our own journey and question, why in the world is it so hard? And that's a very logical question to ask. But we have to know what the final, the final um, reward we're going for is. And if we don't know the reason then in the times of trouble, it's gonna be really hard for us to remain faithful th through those things. And the final reward is that it leads us to him, right? The book of Jude says um, that the ultimate goal is to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Isn't that what we all want? In the, in the very end, when we reach our ultimate promised land is that we can stand before him blameless and with great joy to know we've given everything we can and we were on that road with him every step of the way. So what I wanna to say to you tonight is something I wish I would have said to myself 12 years ago. Do not let your past keep you from getting on this journey with God. The Israelites were in bondage, they were enslaved, they were in darkness. Some of us have been there, but he's delivered us from that. And if you have a hard time getting over your past because you think you're just not good enough, you just don't cut it, maybe you just messed up way too many times, I'm here to tell you folks, he's gonna be there with you. He's going to deliver you. He delivered me, he delivered the Israelites, and he's looking to deliver you. So the band's gonna come, and they're gonna do one more song. And while they do, I wanna ask you, one question. I want, I want to pose it to you to think about while they're singing. Where are you at on your journey? Are you still in Egypt? Are you still stuck in your own slavery, in your own sin, that you just don't want to turn your circumstances and your life over to God? Or maybe, maybe you've already been delivered. Maybe He's calling you and you're on that journey. And maybe we're all kind of in that spot where the, it just doesn't feel like it's going as smoothly. The good news is that wherever you are, whether you're in Egypt or you're walking with him now, every step of the way, he's with you, our church is with you, and we want to be leading each other on this journey with God there. So while they're singing, I want you to think about this. Then Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So let's spend some time being still with God. And I wanna remind you that now's the time. If you're interested, the altars are open. Feel free to come if you'd like to pray and just be one-on-one -on -one with God and ask him where you are on your journey. 
but he's here. He's ready to deliver you. He's ready to walk with you. And I can tell you in my own personal journey that uh, he'll be excited for it. You don't have to be a, a, a slave any longer.